Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Don. What's going on this week? Okay, so started another side project, although this one's not necessarily a side project. This is more in line with what we need for um, construction specialties. Um, It's a... uh, it may be over-engineering a solution, um, but when we need information from our technicians, we um, we ask them through text message. Um, and if I ask a technician for a, for information, that's a one-on-one information exchange. So if I forget to put the answer in, nobody else in the company has that information. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I may be over-engineering it, but. Um, I'm going to put in place a central um, telephone number that all the technicians can text information to. Yeah. Going to forward that onto Slack, a special channel in our Slack, and then um, put some slash commands together so that we can respond to those messages as they come in. So I'm in that early phase of, of project where you end up starting and stopping and restarting about five times as you're trying to figure out what packages to use and what direction to go. Yeah. So, how, how are things going there? Uh, fine. I got hired in the fractional CTO role. So nice. that was a nice thing to get to at least get agreed upon the terms of how we would work. It'll be... I don't know that I will be starting immediately. And the goal ultimately is to minimize the amount of time that the startup needs to use my talents just to balance out their cost and what they want to execute with the idea that if they need more hands-on tech, I will be available. So again, I've kind of done this consulting before, but not in kind of official capacity as like a tile of what I was doing. Um, so yeah, so I landed that and continued work with another client getting hopefully a revenue generating feature, um, much further closer to launch. And that pretty much consumed most of my week. Um, for this week, I wanted to talk about something that came up on a discussion amongst some previous previous coworkers of mine. And we were talking, these are all engineers. Some of them are now in senior management roles. Some of them are, some of these folks are still straight developers. They're all beyond junior devs at this point. There's maybe one junior dev. Uh, He's probably more of a senior now, but the discussion came into um, where the like why is there there's so few good managers in technology based on what everyone was seeing, and I started talking about um, the fact that most companies don't that they're pulling people straight out of coding right into management without any true path to like bridge them from one day they're 100% developing and then the next day they're all of a sudden supposed to be project management. And there are companies in Chicago that I know um, 
Anova being one of them, have a very defined path, a fork in the road for every career um, of an engineer that says, do you want to go along the leadership management path or do you want to go along the engineering path? And the compensation between the two is not largely different. There are certainly more responsibilities um, along each path. And they gear, they are geared still in leadership roles, but not so much, hey, you're a manager, more of you're a senior engineer. So what I wanted to talk about was if a if I'm a junior dev and I come to you and say, I am learning how to be a develop a better developer, but I also can see at this wherever I'm working, there's a pathway to be or for my career, I want to be a full-time developer, engineer, and, and not look, seek management leadership roles. Or I want to do a, a little of both, or I'm geared for management. That's what I want to do. There's probably more money in it in a lot of companies. Where What do you tell them about the leadership management side, the, that fork? We can talk about focusing on engineering another time, but right now the question that I'm posing to you as a junior dev is what kind of um, skill sets, what kind of um, career choices, what kind of things do I need to learn if I want to go down that leadership path at, for the CTO or a, a, for a technical um, manager, technical leader type role? I think we we both been down that path. Um, I got into that path back in about 97, 98. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was a developer at the time uh, for IBM. Um, and what I was seeing was that I was going to have to keep my technical skills current um, and and always be catching up to what the latest thing was if I wanted to stay relevant with an IBM. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to do that at the same speed as, as other developers. Um, as it, as it turned out, I, I've stayed abreast of everything anyway, so yeah. it didn't matter in the end. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, I'd also come from a business background to some degree. Yes, I got my computer science degree. It was out of the business college. Um, I was always interested in the business side of things. So I always had that interest on top of coding. Um, so that was an easy choice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what the, the way that worked out, and then I'll, then I'll answer some of your questions. Um, the way that worked out was... I was put into a role to start writing the processes um, of how we were doing the work. At the time, um, our our department and our client, our, our department for our client, I'll put it that way, was going through SEI, CMMI uh, certification. So they gave me the job of gathering all the documents, writing all the processes that we were doing, because that's that's the first level at that time. That was the first level of CMMI certification or, mm-hmm. or level two, I should say. 
um, was, do you have processes and do you follow them? Mm -hmm. They can be horrible processes, but do you have them? Um, so that's, that's what, that's what I was, that's what I did. And then I moved into project management and all that. So that was my path. Um, as far as a junior developer looking to, to get into the leadership path, there, there's going to be a number of things they, they have to go, they have to be looking at, um, the first one, and, and I'll say probably the most important one is they have to make sure they're people relatable. Um, yes. They don't have to be an extrovert. Yeah. Plenty of introvert leaders. Um, but they do have to be able to relate to other people, have have some form of empathy. Yes. Um, and be able to communicate not extremely well, but effectively yep. be able to communicate with people. Um, Would you like I when people ask me, how do you do it? How do you do the leadership role that you and I guess they're giving me a compliment at the time. But how are you doing this? How are you, how are you able to relate to people? I Empathy is the key word. That's on my number one right. point of the list I have. But my I always term it as you have to constantly put yourself in the other person's shoes and that's in the situation they may be in, how they overall feel about their role, how they feel about working with you. You like, if you can, if you can think about someone else or you being in that person's situation and relate to that, that's what empathy is to me. I, I want to take that one step further okay? because it, it sounded like you were talking about empathy towards the people reporting to you. Yeah. Um, and that it also applies to the people above you. Yeah. So managing up, right. Managing up is all as a part of the job, which is you have to manage the people you report to as well. Now they're not reporting to you, but you have to manage the information they're getting. Yeah. You, so you have to have empathy for, for them as well. You have to have empathy for your clients and, you have to have empathy for every person you're you're in your sphere that you're working with, um, because your clients could come to you with an unreasonable request, and it's going to be up to you to figure out what's the motivation behind that. Yeah. Um, so, so empathy is is absolutely number one. So, um, on so you just dove into my second bullet point, <laughs> which was understanding stakeholders. Because and and you did not provide these bullet points to me ahead of time. I'm <laughs> no, just I did, pointing no, this out. I did not, but we're all thinking along the same lines. So to build on that, um, going from empathy to understanding stakeholders, which are maybe the same thing, how do you start to do that? You're, you're at the bottom of the totem pole. How do you start to get, like improve upon the lack of knowledge you have at this point in your career? How do you start to understand and have empathy for all the various stakeholders at your, in your job. You have to understand their motivations. You have to understand what they they need. Okay. So your managers have people they're reporting to yeah. with metrics they're being judged on. Yeah. If you can help them look good, that makes you 
more useful, I guess is the best way to put it. It, it, it's people, people stick their nose up at that. People say that's politics. That's kind of the job as well. Yeah. Um, and, and people might say, well, I want to be myself. Well, to some degree, you give a small portion of that up when you become a leadership. You'll have your own style. You'll have how you're going to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have to be able to shape shift just a little um, depending on the situation. That's not to say you put out falsehoods. You put out a false front. Yeah. That's saying depending on the situation, you're going to have to frame whatever the information you're giving in that situation. Yep. I think the the other part to my question is, or I guess let me give you a scenario, because I know this happens to a lot of junior developers no matter what. They are not privy to meetings where certain stakeholders are involved. They may not be involved in any meetings other than their manager they report to. So how does someone that's entering the field of technology start to basically get get in front and talking? I mean, to me, talking and meeting and networking with people that are in those roles is the number one way to learn about them, to see, to find out what their motivations are, to find out what, like, their pressures and constraints that are on their particular position. So how do you do that if you or at a company where you're not allowed to even attend those meetings, you're not going out to dinners with the executive team. What's the alternative for someone in that space? The, the alternative is start with whom you are connected to. You're connected to your development or your development manager. They have, they have the, their motivations. They have their things. Um, if you prove yourself useful enough to them by helping them achieve their goals, what ends up happening is they've got a big project they have to land for their boss and they give you a portion of that and make you deliver that. Yeah. Um, and depending on who your manager is, possibly even bring you along to help deliver that part of it. Yep. Um, and that that's just part of the process is you're, you're constantly, you're constantly working to be responsible for more and more things uh, for larger, larger pieces of work. Yeah. Um, not necessarily larger pieces of work that you're doing just larger in scope, larger in importance pieces of work. Um, you may have only been a part of it, but you're going to report on it now. Um, it, it it's a little about hustle as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean I don't mean hustling someone as in hmm. conning them. I mean hustling like on a basketball court. Yeah. Um, I am not a very athletic person. I wasn't coming out of high school. But we played we played basketball every day um, in the in the basketball court uh, behind our apartment at college, mm-hmm. and I didn't do anything. I couldn't shoot worth a darn. But running around and making myself a general nuisance on defense and running around and grabbing the rebounds that was what made me useful overall to the team. Um, you're so the, that you're the Dennis of, Rodman of college backlot 
basketball is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I did not do the hair and the uh, tattoo and okay. all that, but for, for the most part, that was what I did. I just, so again, that was the hustle part of it though. I put in more work. I, I, I worked harder at the things I could do. And that's, that's what I'm driving at here is you have skills as, as a junior, as a junior driver who wants to grow, you have skills you're good at. Yeah. Really, really focus on those and, and, and overachieve on those strong skills. And if you're able to, to strengthen one of your weaker ones along the way, that's great. I, I, I turned from about a 10% shooter to about a 15% shooter by the time it was all done. So I improved even in my shooting. Well, on, on your, the keyword you just said was hustle. And I want to build yeah. on that because I feel like another part of hustle is to get out of, if you're in a, posi- a job and they are, Maybe you're not getting the roles that you need. You're you're happy you're making money, but in terms of management, there may be a ceiling for whatever reason. Huh. And my I what I would tell someone to hustle in this case is get out of the office. You've got evenings um, and weekends that you can choose to use at very in various ways. And so I would say. Don't go only and hang out with other engineers. Don't only hang out with other developers. Because I know, thinking back to what I did, I went to meetups that were startups. Like, I was not doing a startup, but I went to a meetup called Bootstrappers Breakfast years ago. It was just a bunch of people trying to do startups that all had jobs. So they would meet for coffee at like 7 a.m., in the basement cafeteria of this building and just talk about what they're trying to build. And I was always like the tech person that could give them some advice on that side. But I got to know about the startup mentality from all of those folks before I was ever doing a startup. And that was one group. The other group was something called Product Management Association, um, PMA, blah, blah, blah. And they were sure. they were doing meetups at Orbit's office um, at the time, and they would do these little mini conferences. And I met a bunch of people that worked in big companies that were managing products, meaning they were not developers. They were and they weren't just project managers. They were in charge of a whole feature set or component of a big enterprise kind of product system. And they were talking about how they manage their jobs. And it was a very, it was eye-opening to me to have talked to all these startup founders and then talking to these product managers at the enterprise level, seeing the thing, the things that were very similar, but there's drastically different constraints on both sides. Sure. And then I would say, you know, the, the, the thing that I did last year, which is, yes, I've been up, I've been in the business a while. But teaching a bunch of brand new developers that were completely green to programming was a new audience that I had never expected I would learn that much from. So going to a meetup where you are by far the most senior developer, just because you're not green, you're not like at the very bottom, like where where there's girls that code or girl code it or people that are just learning the basics of HTML, though that is a whole different subset of 
empathy that you can you're probably even closer to as a developer. Um, right. So, and there's so many meetup groups that don't pertain ex- exactly to what you may be doing, or the you may say, I don't know anyone in that group, and I don't even want to be a person in that group. But if you go and attend the meetups that have a subject matter that's interesting at all, and then talk to some of the people, they don't care if you are trying to be a photography expert. But what you'll find is that you get to know users that use technology and and all of the problems they face. So that's what I would consider a hustle is getting out of the office that may, you, you don't control who they expose you to, who you get to meet. And I'm saying go out there and meet those other people to, to meet those people that are stakeholders in other companies. Um, and not, not with the idea that you're going to get hired by them, with the idea that you're going to meet them and understand more about what they face, constraints, um, anxieties, what their like, biggest problems are, that kind of thing. Right. So... I would say in one aspect, it's easier now than it was beginning of, of the century. Yeah. And, and I'm going to make it sound like that was eons <laughs> ago. Um, that those meetups are a lot easier to find. Um, it's a lot easier. To, there's a much broader variety of meetups out there. I do think this is one of those cases where extroverts have an advantage that introverts have to work through. Uh, I think you're a more extroverted person than I am. Um, But I struggled to get to meetups because of, of social anxiety. Um, But what I ended up doing was I ended up, um, I was trying to build a system again, back to side projects again. Um, I was trying to build a system for something and I, I was on an old PHP content management system called Zoops and it was going out, oh, out yeah. the windows. So I had to, mm-hmm. I had to find something else and I found this one called Drupal. Yeah. So I started looking for local um, people and I found a, a local meetup that was right around the corner, literally right around the corner um, in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, to go meet with those people and what you find out and and this is a little bit of be having experience as an introvert this is one of those lessons what you'll find out is that most people of at those types of meetings are introverts as well yeah. so you're not going to you're not going to stick out like a sore thumb um you can be as quiet as you want until you get comfortable yes. uh, for the most part um the ones that that are, are difficult are the ones that are run by extroverts because then they like to involve everyone. Yeah. Um, so that, 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 that's a risk you take. Um, but anyway, uh, that, that got me into that circle of people. And, and this is, this is still a technical circle, yeah. um, but it got me into a different circle, which eventually led, you know, five or six years of doing that led to me getting out of IBM um, and into a Drupal job. So, um, it, it, it led to that in, in a long process. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Go out and find, find a meetup or two, figure out your comfort level as far as getting out there. Yeah. Um, 
and meet some people. And that's, that's, you're right. That's a great way to, to meet people outside of your current circle of influence, which, which can help as far as learning skills, uh, exercising those skills yourself. So something that you, I want to pull out what you just talked about at the beginning, which was about being an extrovert and an introvert. And we can do a whole episode on this subject, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But I do think understanding yourself is a real big key. This is success for everything. But in the role of management where other people are going to be interfacing with you a lot, understanding yourself, your anxieties, your how your energy with other people works how you react to things, how other people react to how you react to things. I've always had a misperception sometimes that if I'm calm, people realize I'm calm. But usually people <laughs> think, oh, you're not happy. Like I have that, I have that look, you know, where it's like sure. I'm concentrating. And my dad had it too. So my brother and I thought my dad was angry at us all the time. And he's like, nope, I'm just not talking to you right now and so <laughs> i had to like oh yeah i need to lighten up when i'm around people i need i i need to not cross my arms because i have a very like i have this if i cross my arms people are like oh something's up and so understanding yourself at that extrovert introvert level will help you actually overcome if you're really introverted or too extroverted you'll know to tone it down you'll know when to like oh this anxiety I'm feeling right now about going to this meetup is just a byproduct of my, you know, introverted personality. So we can talk about this later because I think there's a lot more to pull about, talk about these two items. But if a, if you understand how you fit into that spectrum, I think it gives you a lot more power about how you interact with others because truly management leadership is about yourself and others in some capacity. And that's, and how you how you are is where it all starts, especially when you're in the leadership role you're aiming for. And and I'll give you I'll give you an example of a place where I I was doing a very conscious behavior, and I do it to I do it today, and it it's perceived negative, and I I'm, I'm still trying to work out how to how to handle it. Um, piece of feedback I was always getting was people don't think you react enough when there's an emergency. People don't uh, think you, 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 are, you care. The Mark Rick syndrome. <laughs> and, and that was not it at all. It was, it was, I know there's a problem, yes. but I've got to put on a brave face and act like we've got it under control. Yeah. And that was being perceived as you don't care. Yeah. And, and, to this day, I, I got that. I, I've continued to get that comment and I'm probably now past the point of a caring, um, <laughs> to be ironic and b, yeah, capable of change. That's just the way I'm going to react to, to crisis is I'm going to shut, shut it down a little, going to, going to display no emotion and we're going to walk through it methodically. And instead of people perceiving that as calming, they perceive that as me not caring. So I don't know. Um, that that goes back to understanding yeah. yourself. Um, and and there was no way I was going to pick that out as as a way of understanding myself. But that is one of those things that you will find is that 
people do perceive you differently than what you think you're projecting. Yeah. So I just want to do a sidebar for the listener. Mark, my comment was the Mark Richt syndrome, and that's because I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, and we had a coach named Mark Richt who's there for almost 15 years. Really good coach. He's not Miami now. But he had people knocked him so much because when the team was doing poorly, he didn't lose his cool. Like you see a lot of coaches screaming their heads off. And he knew, he's like in his mind, he's like, I got things under control. And he did some comeback wins. And he's like, oh, I don't know why you will want me yelling in the middle of all this. But the cameras would always look at him to see like, let's look at the lack of reaction that Mark Richt has as his team just fumbled another or got intercepted. And the fan base just drove them nuts. They wanted to see a coach that hated losing so bad that he was like popping blood vessels off his face. So it was just, that's the, it, I don't, I feel like that's a perception problem that you have to deal with one way or the other um, because it's how people react to you. And it doesn't have to be you screaming to make the react to have a reaction or a perception. Sure. So another area that I wanted to kind of bring us into is about the hiring process, because I feel very strongly that technical leaders move up the ladder faster because they have really good people working for them. And it's not just a product of you managing those people well. It is a product of you bringing on good people to your team. And I feel like so many companies, small and big, outsource the hiring process of their team to HR or to recruiters. And just like in college football, going back to that reference, Recruiting is the lifeblood of your team's talent and productivity because it all starts there. If you hi- if you make a humongously bad hire, there's a lot of side effects that will go negative. If you hire terrific people, then half your job is done, if not more, because you have good people working for you. Then it's your responsibility to manage them. But what I think is very is left out is that it is upon every person moving up the ladder to know how the hiring process works at the competition, in the marketplace, and at their own company, and then when where they have the ability to go out on their own and make choices, do the be better at it than other companies. But it starts with sure. because most people simply get hired. They, they somehow go through this horrible interview process, um, usually horrible, and then they get hired and they don't think about it again until they have to do it again. And right. I think it is upon every leader to say, I understand the, how whatever market I'm in, wherever I'm hiring for, understand how that process works, what it costs, what it costs to get the best people, what it costs to get the, the middle average, and how you will inevitably hire the worst so you avoid those practices. And that means talking to recruiters, like inter- talking to recruiters about how they go about their work, how they filter people, and then talking, seeing how your company is evolving with how they bring people into interviews and what they're looking for. 
So if there was any one non, like we talked a lot about interpersonal, um, emotional type of things that someone should look for. But I, tr- I do strongly feel that someone that's w- wanting to go up the fork of leadership needs to understand that finding good people will set the tone for your teams. And it is r- imperative on you to be the leader of that, not some other person that's just going to bring you talent and you hope that they know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and this, this ties directly to what we were talking about previously about going to meetups, meeting other people. Um, it, it, it expands your network. It expands your knowledge of how other companies, what the culture of other companies are. Because you'll get into the, to these meetups and you may end up starting to talk to someone and you'll find out that they run their company completely differently mm-hmm. than, than your company is run. Um, so you start to expand your vision of how companies are run. Because if you're a junior developer, you've probably only been in a couple. So And, and they may have been similar personalities and you don't realize that there's, there's lots of different ways companies are run. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of different personalities people have. And if, if you don't expand your, your network of, of people, um, you won't necessarily pick up on that because companies tend to hire like person. Oh, totally. It doesn't always happen. Uh, yeah. But yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's way more prevalent than anyone wants to admit. Um, sure. And, and, and that's my point is, if you've only worked for one or two companies, you've only seen one collection of similar personalities. You, you, you won't realize there's, there's plenty others out there. Um, even within the technical space. Now you may, you may have social interactions as well with other people and that, that helps, but just within the technical space, you'll, you'll understand there's different personalities there as well. So there's two other areas that, I think are too broad to talk about now with our time room, but it's basically, I would say the other areas I would recommend someone start to focus on is project management for developers and then project management for managers, because I feel like they are distinctly two different things. And we talked about this last week a little bit where we discussed the differences between open office collaboration, communication, and Slack and others. And I think that the way that a project is run at the developer level is much different than what a manager who's overseeing a lot more going on, how like the difference is there. But I, I want to say that to a different episode, but I, it's a topic that is really important for developers to not just understand how project management relates to them as an engineer, understand how it relates to what a manager um, has to look for. And then the next, and right. then along the hiring process and um, an extension of that is training and teaching because so like in, in a labor market that technology is in right now, which is a very tight labor market, the best talent has already been picked up for a large part. And companies are doing their best to retain those folks, which makes it really hard, much harder for companies that need to grow to find good talent. 
there are lots of junior devs out there, people that need to learn and be pushed along. And training and teaching, while they are not easy, is a very doable thing for companies to do to invest in the community, but to invest in their own team. But right. I've got um, coming soon. I've, I actually will have our one of our first guests who is both a he has taught he taught at Northwestern with me, and he is actually going to go into a role of teaching instructors about how to teach. And I want to bring this topic up because so often I hear companies talk about how they can't find any talent. But when I ask, well, how many, like, do you hire junior devs? Oh, we're not equipped for that. We can't do that. And I'm like, that's a huge gap you're just completely tossing away. And so the message I'm going to give to a prospective junior dev looking at that fork in the road of leadership and management is you, it is imperative upon you to also learn how to be a teacher um, doesn't mean teach someone JavaScript. It means teach people how to be better at their jobs, whatever it may be. And if you don't think about it that way, then you're leaving a huge gap in how you make your teams improve. Um, so, right. but again, that's a topic that I want to say for another time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one that that's close to, what we're currently in as well. So uh, it'll be interesting when, when we have that conversation to see how we've progressed because we did bring on a, a person who's learning to be a developer. And one of the motivations for doing so was to allow my most senior developer to start to gain that ability to teach. So not only did I do it to grow a new resource, I did it to make my top resource better. Sounds great. Anything else along the subjects that you would want to bring up now about junior dev looking at the fork in the road? No, I think we covered, I think we covered the, um, the, the majority of it. It goes back to a, a lot of what we were talking, what we've talked about in the past. It goes to, um, taking time on the side to learn, yeah. um, because in, in, in your nine to five job as a developer, you're going to be asked to do development a lot of that time. So you're not going to have a lot of time to learn other skills besides the ways that we've, we've talked about. So take some of your free time to, to pick up a management book to, to find a management podcast like, uh, like ours <laughs> uh, to listen to um, t- t- find ways to improve that part of it. But that that's also going to have to be probably a lot on your time. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go into recommendations. What do you have for the listener today? Sure. So um, I was perusing uh, medium uh, just looking for articles to read. And I stumbled across one by Paul Robinson called the problems of the CTO role. Um, and this was a, this is a good article. It's, it's, it says it's a 10 minute read. So it's not one of the shorter ones. And it talks in general about what, what is the CTO's job? 
Um, how have people gotten into being a CTO and what are the different types of being a CTO and, and in what ways is that broken in his view? Um, I did find it interesting. He, he mentioned that he went to a dinner with a bunch of CTOs and he found out he was one of only two who had even touched code. So that touches back on what we, we had talked about before is do technology managers need to be able to code? I think we both came back, came came down on the side of, yeah, it's been, it would be nice if you've had that exposure yeah. at some point, um, but you don't have to be doing it in the current yeah. role. But this was a perfect example where he found a bunch who had never been. Um, so that that I find interesting. Um, so in general, just an interesting article, um, and and there's some advice in there for hiring or becoming a, a CTO as well. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, I'd actually want to go and just say to the point of uh, CTO not needing tech or not needing to be hand-drawn code, nothing in our whole list of things we talked about just now was about learn new code, learn more hands-on JavaScript or learn servers or learn DevOps. Like True. None of that was True. what we emphasized of, hey, you want to be in the leadership role? What do you need to be looking for? But um, I'm going to talk about my pick is just a, a tool I use called Simple Note. And there's a million note-taking apps out there. They're usually what people will kind of build as their first example apps on an iPhone or an Android. But the tool I use is called Simple Note. And it's I think it's run by WordPress, uh, Matt Mulloweg, that... Um, who built Word, the whole WordPress engine also built a note-taking system platform. And I love it because I just, it's kind of like my scratch pad. I pop, it pops up whenever I'm taking notes on a the telephone call. I use it for snippets of code. I use it. I use it right now to read some of the notes that I wanted to have prepared for the episode it's a, a way for me to also copy and paste things that need to not have any kind of formatting that the internet may um, have when I copy it off of a, a blog post or something. And it allows me to look at it on my iPhone or you could do Android. There's a number of desktop apps that are custom built that interact with the Simple Note platform. And I can, you can also easily share with other people just by p- attaching their email address as a tag. So I think it's, it's, a fr- it's free. I would actually pay somebody for it if I had a way because I think it's a tremendously useful service that is run by a great company. And I've, take, I've used all sorts of note-taking um, apps over all the years. And Simple Note has been what I've used for the past five, and it's free and works well. It's, to me, it's better... Than Evernote, even though Evernote has a 10 times more features, I just feel like what I need out of a note-taking app is what Simple Note does. So that's my pick for the week. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So good conversation. We'll yep. uh, talk next week. That sounds good. See you then. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. 
Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week. Thank you.